Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher. This is a talk I did on the first Sunday following Easter. And uh, I'm going to be talking about doubt, fear, shame. It's really interesting that the first description, the first stories we have of Jesus' disciples after Easter morning are all about, they're all narratives about doubt and fear and shame and failure. And you know, you've probably heard the name Thomas, Doubting Thomas, one of the disciples, one of Jesus' students. He's ended up with the reputation for being a doubter. So he's got the nickname Doubting Thomas. But I think that they all struggled. Most of them struggled. Most of them struggled. In fact, you know, when I think about it, I've actually never met anyone who, has, who doesn't doubt. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about faith. We're, I've never met anyone that doesn't doubt. I mean, when you think about it, if someone claimed to never doubt, you wouldn't even believe them. You wouldn't even believe that. If someone said, oh, I completely trust God, I completely trust that God will take care of everything, so I never get anxious about a thing. Yeah, you would say to yourself, and I believe that. Or if someone said, I have no concerns about my life at all because God's in charge and that's enough for me and I never doubt. You wouldn't even believe that. I mean, it's just not human, is it? I mean, to be human is to have doubts. So I know that Thomas is the one that has the reputation for being doubting Thomas, but I think there was a lot more than Thomas uh, who struggled. In fact... The passage that I'm going to be looking at today, which comes from John chapter 20, Gospel of John, good news, gospel means good news, the good news according to John, he tells us, John, that, verse 19, on the evening of the first Easter night, so this would be the first Easter night on the evening, when the disciples were together, they locked the doors for fear of the Jewish religious leaders. So there they are. They're hiding behind this locked door because the Jewish religious leaders were the ones, the ones that set it up that Jesus would be arrested and put on trial and crucified because they were his main enemies. So they're hiding from these Jewish religious leaders. By the way, they're all Jewish. It's a Jewish story. All the disciples are Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, so everybody's Jewish. They're all hiding behind uh, the, the locked doors, and then suddenly, John says, Jesus just appeared and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So, after the resurrection, after Jesus is no longer in the tomb, after Mary reports that the tomb's empty, on Easter night, they're behind a locked door, they're frightened, they're scared that the same thing that happened to Jesus might happen to them. What if they get arrested? What if they're seen as a threat? So that's really why they're hiding. They're thinking, well, maybe we'll be next. So on Easter night, even though Mary Magdalene said, I've met him. He's alive. 
Even though Peter ran to the tomb and saw that it was empty, even though John looked inside the tomb, the cave, and saw the grave clothes shaped like a, actually it would be like a mummy with no body in it, because it would be like an empty cocoon. That's the shape of the cloth. So even though there's been some eyewitnesses, Thomas is listening to all of this and he's thinking, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe it, Thomas said. Unless I touch his wounded hands, unless I touch his wounded side, I don't care who's seen what, I don't believe. So Thomas is pretty steadfast in that that first Easter week. So a week passes and he still doesn't believe because he still hasn't met Jesus face to face. That's how he gets the name Doubting Thomas. But like I said, they're all frightened and they're all scared and each one will have their own reflections and their own grief. And it's entirely possible that they also have shame, especially Peter. He's got to be feeling ashamed because the last conversation he had with Jesus before he died was not a good conversation. The last conversation that the disciple Peter had was Jesus said to him, you know, when the pressure's on, you're you're going to end up saying that you don't know me. You're going to end up saying that you'll have nothing to do with me. And Peter said, I would never do that. I'd never deny you. I'll always stand by your side. I'll always be your right-hand man. And sure enough... The night that Jesus was arrested, Peter did get scared. And when the local people asked, hey, don't you know this man? Aren't you one of his followers? He said, no, I've never met him in my life. I have no idea who you're talking about. Not good. I mean, he's got to feel a lot of shame over that, that he didn't really stand by Jesus and he let him down. Really at the time when he needed him the most. So that first Easter night, either way you look at it, there's a lot of reasons for hiding behind these locked doors. There's fear there, there's shame, there's humiliation. Peter's going to be humiliated thinking, oh, why why did I say that? Why did I do that? There's doubt. Thomas is like, I don't even believe that this is true. He's alive. They're all hiding. And then a week later, uh, Thomas still refuses to believe. Now, here's the thing about these stories in the scripture, these narratives. And I've mentioned this before, but it's really important. The vast majority of these, the Bible's narratives, this is not simply a story about some disciples, some students of Jesus, some students of a rabbi 2,000 years ago. Um, because it's not just the disciples who hide. This is common to people. It's not just the disciples who get scared. This is common to people. It's not, the disciple, it's not just the disciples who feel like failures or who feel inadequate. These things are all common to people. Hiding is common to people. Hiding behind locked doors. I'm using it metaphorically speaking. Very, very common. Common thing. Hiding. Pretending, you know, people hide all the time, actually. You never know. (laughs) Sometimes you wonder who you do know, you know. And hiding, by the way, it's not good. You know, pretending hurts us. It damages us. 
Pretending to be something we're not hurts us. And most of us know that there are, there's two sides to us in a way. You know, there's the us that we show the world and the people around us. And, and, there's, and then there's the other us on the inside that we, we don't show others. Now, obviously, for social interactions, it has to be this way in certain conditions and times. But overall, pretending, I, well, I've got to be careful about that. People, people pretend and hide all the time, and it's not good. They pretend to be successful when they're really not successful. They pretend that they're happy when they're actually not happy at all. That takes its toll. That's not good. You know, they, they pretend they like you when they don't, or people just tell you what they think that you want to hear. That's not good either for relationships, especially once you start to figure that out. Have you ever had that in a relationship? You think, you know, she's just telling me what I want to hear. I don't know this person at all. It's inauthentic in a way, isn't it? But pretending is a common thing. And uh, we do it for various reasons. Hiding. Well, these early disciples, Easter night, they're hiding. For various reasons, like we said. Shame, fear, doubt, and quite frankly, they really don't know what to do. They're, they're really not sure what to do on Easter night. So there they are. And this is a wonderful promise here. Looking at verse 26, if you want to follow along and see where I find this stuff. This is one of the greatest gifts that God brings us this side of eternity. And it's found here in this chapter. This is what happens. So all the disciples are hiding. They're all behind the locked door, and then suddenly, suddenly, Jesus appears. Now, that's a way of saying he doesn't use the door to get in. He's just there. This resurrected, alive Christ. Now, a couple things about this is, is that, first of all, what's interesting is, is that they didn't find Jesus, he found them. And that's a, a principle that's found in the scripture. In fact, Jesus even says the, the exact same thing. He said at one point, you think that you found me? You didn't find me. I found you. And it's that idea that God is the one that goes looking for us. It's not necessarily uh, because of our uh, intellect or because we're so smart or astute or spiritually in tune that we go looking for God and find God. It's, like, it's more like we need a lot of help. God comes looking for us. So it's Jesus that goes searching for these frightened disciples who are filled with shame and humiliation and embarrassment and fear because the doors are locked and he stands among them. And the first thing he said is, peace be with you, peace be with you. Now, a week later, Jesus appears again, and this time Thomas was with the disciples. And the second time Jesus appears to the disciples, he speaks specifically to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, 
puts his hand out and he basically says to Thomas, you need to touch my hand. Do you want to touch my hand? Do you want to touch my side? Reach out your hand, Thomas, he said. Touch me. Stop doubting and believe. Come on, what's going on? You still don't believe? Okay, touch me. If that's what you need, touch me. It's interesting because it's almost like Jesus targets Thomas's particular weakness. And we'll see this again with Peter. Which is an amazing thing because it really shows us the way that God works with us. Whatever weaknesses we have, whatever brokenness we have, or what we would call nowadays whatever issues we have, God works to bring healing to these areas. And you will notice that whatever issues we have, they just keep coming back over and over and over and over again until they're resolved. And if they're not resolved in 10 years, then they'll last another 10 years and another 10 years and another 10 years. Because uh, God is relentless about repeating and coming back to target areas to bring healing. So these locked doors don't stop this alive Christ, right? They're hiding. Jesus appears. Why? To free them up. To free them up. Why does God come to us? To free us up. It's always about moving us into more freedom. It's almost like Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're not going to live this way. All, you, we're not going to, this, isn't, this is no way to live. All locked up and scared and hiding, this is no way to live. Come on. I have a whole new way of living and being. And it's not going to happen hiding like this. Come on. Don't lock yourself up. You're free. And then he breathes on them, which is kind of a way of empowering. It's like giving breath, giving life to them as a group. We're going to be looking at that in the weeks ahead, but because that, that's a great passage. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's all about, you don't have exactly what it takes to live this way, so I'm going to give you what you need so that you can. Yeah, and of course, it's, it's, it's the same promise for us. Now, it's going to take a lifetime to uncover this freedom, but a growing, maturing, authentic faith leads to an authentic free self. So, so, so we're becoming more of who we were created to be in the first place, more real, more free, more at ease, more at ease with ourself, which of course leads to more ease with others, which, you know, in turn affects everyone around us. It's kind of the way that it works. There's a rippling effect to healing. But we need to be willing to come out from behind locked doors. I mean, that's for sure. We do have to participate in it, do our part in a way. I mean, you can choose to stay locked up in fear or shame. Yeah, you get to choose that. Who would want to? You can if you want. We have to be willing to sort of come out from behind the locked door. No denying, no pretending, no hiding. Which is actually what, what the scripture calls walking by faith. Well, walking by faith just means that I'm following Jesus' example. That's what it means to walk by faith. I'm going to, I'm going to follow his example. 
Did he live in fear? No. Did he live with resentment? No. Did he live with anger? No. Did he live with unforgiveness? No. I want to follow, I want to live that way. I want to follow that model. That's, that's, the, that's the model of life that I want. Now that takes a fair amount of courage. Right? That takes a fair amount of courage. I mean, if Jesus had said to these first Easter people, if Jesus had said, peace be with you, here's the power of God to help you. And they said, well, thanks, that's really great, but I think I'll just play it safe because it's, it's too dangerous out there. So we're just going to stay up here and keep the door locked because it's safe. And we don't want too many changes. If, if they had said that, they would never have moved away from their fear, right? I mean, why, why do we get stuck? Why do we feel like there's no forward movement? Psychologically, spiritually, same thing. Why do we feel like, why do we get stuck in these circular patterns? And we can't forgive and we can't let go and we're still angry after so long and we're still trying to please the same people and they're never pleased. You know, and we... And we're still disappointed and we're still scared. And well, these disciples could have easily stayed behind locked doors because they could have told themselves, it's just too hard. I can't do that. We tried it, guys. <laughs> we tried it. We were failures. I will never, Peter could have said, I'll never forgive myself. Oh, when I look back in it, oh, I've replayed that a million times. I'll never forgive myself. I don't have what it takes. They could have. They could have done that. I mean, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't, but they could have. They did not let their failures define them. You know, it's almost like, where do you... So this is a good question. Where do you feel trapped? Where do you feel restricted where do you feel hemmed in? And, and why? Why is that? It's, because from Jesus' perspective, Jesus is saying, I'm not focusing on that. I'm not focusing on what you did in the past and your failures and how you messed up and whatever you did. I'm not interested in that. That's gone. We're not doing past stuff anymore. I want you to move beyond that, unlock the door and get out and move into the future. In fact, Jesus has a wonderful line that he says, if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, it's like, well, it sounds good. What does that mean? Well, whatever's holding you captive, whatever is, whatever is holding you back. He's saying, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You don't need to be held back. You don't, you don't need to, you don't need, it all, it's, there's choice. We have a lot of choices in our life. I think we have a lot more choice than we think we have. In other words, we can start to choose joy rather than regret, for example. I mean, we get to choose things. It begins with a choice. Stepping out, really. The disciples had to be willing to leave the house. They had to be willing to expose themselves to all sorts of new risky things to live this new life that Jesus was promising them. So, I mean, holding on to that metaphor, you know, the house would be 
what is familiar to us. Now, what is familiar to us isn't necessarily what's helpful. I might be very familiar with a very negative mindset or a very critical mindset or a very perfectionistic mindset. It might not be serving me well at all. In fact, it could be making me miserable and it certainly makes everyone around me miserable, right? So they had to be willing to leave the house. They had to be willing to leave what was familiar, what was comfortable. Um, What is comfortable for us isn't necessarily what is helpful for us. It just means it's familiar and it's easy, not necessarily helpful. If they had played it safe or what felt safe to them, never ventured out, they would never have experienced life to the fullest. I mean, these men and women went on to change the world. They absolutely changed the world. And, you know, their numbers grew by the thousands, sometimes in just a single day. Everywhere they went, people were restored and healed and set at various levels. Healed people bring with them healing. We experience this. We know this. When we're in the company of someone who is restored to a certain extent. Now, I know that we all need continually uh, healed and restored. But when we're around someone who's healed, we leave stronger. We're, we're, We're happy to be in their company. They're a delight to us. Broken people bring chaos and more brokenness. I mean, that's why we're glad to leave the company of certain people. We go away sighing, right? We think, oh my gosh, what is wrong with this one? What is wrong? Well, they're, they're really damaged. They're broken. It's a mess. It's a mess. Free people bring freedom with them. It's like whoever you are, you bring that to the world whoever you are, and you bring it to those around you. You bring it to those around you. Yeah, I mean, it's like God wants us free. God wants us free. Not hiding behind some locked door, some construction that we've made up in our minds. That's not living. It's like Jesus is saying, don't be defined by the past. Leave your failure behind and move on. I'm not interested in what's gone on in the past. There's a lot more for us than being led or held back by the past. Yeah, there's the heart cry. There's the prayer. There's the prayer. God, help me to leave behind whatever it is that's holding me back, whatever it is that's restricting me, and help me walk into freedom. There, It's God's priority for us. It's God's priority. Restoring us and setting us free. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. We've been looking at how Jesus deals with our shame and our fear and our doubt. He's basically saying, we're leaving it behind and we're moving on.